Oi, mate, there's you. I believe it is. Wicked. You coaching football. You are a legend for doing something so stupid. I mean, it's mental. They're gonna murder you. This is a bit of news from the other side of the Atlantic. AFC Richmond announced the hiring of their new manager, American football coach Ted Lasso. You're an American who's now in charge of a football club despite possessing very little knowledge of the game. Oh! I know that AFC Richmond is gonna give you everything they got, win or lose. Or tie. Right, y'all do ties here. <laughs> He must be from England, yeah. Wales, that another country? Yes and no. How many countries are in this country? Four. Like it or not, Richmond are changing the way we do things. And from now on, that way is the lasso way. Hey, look, this car's got an invisible steering wheel. <laughs> what you're doing is irresponsible. This club actually means something to this town. You don't think I see that every day out there on the streets? <laughs> are you kidding me? I think that's what it's all about. Embracing change. Changing! Being brave. Your decision to bench Jamie was a masterstroke. You got no fear of the other dog. To me, success is not about the wins and losses. It's about helping these young fellas be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. I always figured that tea was just gonna taste like hot brown water. And you know what? I was right. Yeah, it's horrible. No, thank you. Welcome to England. Well, good morning, Hope. It's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, I figured football season has started, right? If you weren't at the game yesterday, you didn't watch the game, maybe you tried to drive around and uh, realize that it was go what was going on yesterday. Football is here, so I thought, why not talk about what the rest of the world calls football and let's talk about Ted Lasso, how about? Has anybody seen Ted Lasso before? Yeah, okay, cool. Some of you have. It's a saltier show. It's a little salty. It's a little uh, controversial, maybe, or inappropriate at times. It's also, the, what's amazing to me about this show, though, is that... I could watch it. My wife and I will, will watch it or whatever, and there'll be moments where it's like, oh, I can't believe this is going on or whatever. And there's other moments where my heart is just breaking, and there's other moments where I'm just dying laughing. Like, there, it just kind of runs the whole gambit. So if you're interested in it, it's not a family-friendly show. I'm just going to warn you that right now, so just take, take, take uh, note there. But if you're interested, it's great. It's on Apple TV. It's really a fun show. Uh, kind of the premise of the show, though, is, is Ted Lasso is the American football coach. He was a, like a D2, D3 coach that brought his team to a championship. And so they decided to, um, he, he got offered this job to be a coach in, at a premier soccer league in London. Uh, it's kind of like, has anybody seen the movie, uh, what was it called? It, not Bad News Bears, but the other one, uh, Major League. Do you remember Major League? That movie. It's kind of a major league scenario here for you where the owner of this team really actually hired Ted Lasso to tank the team. Like he, they hired this person, she hired this person to, uh, Ted Lasso to come and like destroy the team, wanted the team not to succeed, succeed uh, out of spite and all those sorts of things. But as you go through it, and Ted makes fun of tea, and he makes fun of some other things that are British, and, uh, which is pretty fun, and then uh, he builds a community is what he does. I love that quote at the very end. Like he talks about what he wants for his players. That he wants his players not necessarily, it's not like success. He doesn't want wins or anything like that. But really what he wants is he wants his players to be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. Ted Lasso doesn't care about wins or losses. Ted Lasso wants his players to be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. 
And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about this. What does it look like for us to be the best versions of ourselves in Christ? We're finishing up our series, uh, Positive Megatrends, and uh, with that, we are going to be talking about uh, Wake Up Church. It's kind of like Wake Up Church, wake up, Waking the Giant, those kind of things is what we're going to be talking about. One example came across my Facebook feed maybe like three weeks ago, a month ago. A friend of mine, uh, she uh, posted this post about her kids. She has two kids. They're nine. Uh, they're twins. They came to VBS here this last summer, uh, and uh, they're awesome. Their name is are Caitlin and Elias, and she put this post on Facebook. My friend Karen did, and she said, well, my kids learned some lessons today uh, at their lemonade stand. One lesson that they learned was it is uh, you make more money asking just for tips not paying per the cup. So kids in the audience, if you're around, you know, in the congregation, if you want to make more money, ask for tips, not pay by the cup. So there you go. There's a free one. Take that home. That is a lesson learned. And two, the other lesson that she said that they learned, her kids learned, was do not trust uh, high school girls that are out on a joyride. Here's what happened was they were sitting there. There's, there they are right here, the two kids uh, sitting out, uh, two nine-year-old twins sitting out, uh, handing out lemonade. When two high school girls came by, one hopped out of the car and was like, I'll take a glass. And then as the kids were pouring the lemonade, grabbed the tip jar and jumped back into their car. Stole it. Took their money. Obviously devastating for these two kids, nine-year-olds who are just trying to make a go at it in the world today. So uh, my friend Karen called the police and, and uh, th that's when the amazing things started happening. She called the police, and the police officer who was uh, sent to uh, go and kind of take the, you know, figure out, hey, what's going on, and this sorts of things, came, and before, she, when she came, she also, she kind of called some other colleagues, some other Ames Police Department people, uh, some sheriffs, fire department, tons of people kind of showed up uh, to, to kind of, you know, help boost their sales again, I guess, of their lemonade stand, to kind of stand with them and say, you know what, not everybody's bad. And then it continued, like, it was kind of interesting to watch on Facebook and, and see how this kind of goes and talk with my friends about it, where it continued to grow and grow, where more and more people were coming by because they wanted to support something that meant something. You see, what they did was the two twins, they said, you know what, this isn't, we're not raising money for us anymore. It's not for our wallets. It's not for our bank accounts. We want to raise money for shop with a cop. We want to make a difference in this world. And so that's what they did. They started raising money, and, and more and more people were showing up. I, I, I believe, I, as I was watching it on, on, unfold on social media, it looked like uh, Channel 8 kind of did a story about them. And then I, I heard, too, uh, I talked with my buddy Eric, their dad, and he said that uh, even, like, like world, or not, sorry, uh, U.S.-wide, like, national news kind of happened as well, uh, where this story got picked up, national news. Now, it's online-only national news, so yeah, take it as it will, but national news kind of came and, and did some interviews with them as well, and it became a thing, and so they were raising money for Shop with a Cop, and as I was watching, like, the money just continued to grow and grow and grow for these two nine-year-olds. I texted my buddy Eric a couple days ago to just find out, hey, how much did you guys end up raising? Like, what was the total amount that you got? He said over $7,000 was raised uh, for Shop with a Cop because two kids, nine-year-olds, Elias and Caitlin, decided that it's not about winning or losing, but it's about making a difference in this world, right? Pretty cool. 
So it makes me wonder too, you know, like, what about me? One way I feel like that we are able to kind of see ourselves, obviously, is literally, and also I think as well, uh, figuratively, is in a mirror, right? When we look in the mirror, we can see ourselves. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see somebody that is living to, uh, to, to make a difference in this world? Or do you see somebody that's just living for wins and losses? The mirror is so interesting to me because when you look in a mirror, you see your reflection. And if somebody else is looking, they would see their re- your reflection as well. But they wouldn't know what we're thinking, right? All sorts of thoughts run through our heads, at least my head when I look in the mirror. Like, oh, do I, do I look okay? Do I have a zit? Or, uh, man, I, I need to shave? Or what about that promotion? What about money's getting a little tight? What about my marriage? You know, all these different thoughts, right, that we might have when we're looking in the mirror. It goes deeper than just what our physical thoughts, our physical uh, looks are, right? So what about you? When you look in the mirror, what do you see? My hope is, is that when we look in the mirror, we do all those things, you know, those things are thoughts that we have and those things are uh, normal everyday life, but that's not what defines us. When you look in the mirror, what I hope that you see is who defines you. What I hope that you see when you look in the mirror is exactly uh, who you were created to be. And that you were bought with a price and that Jesus is who defines who you are. When you look in the mirror, my hope is, is that it's not the, uh, these worries and, these, and this person that looks back at you, but instead that it is Jesus looking back at you each and every day. And that's what we're going to talk about today is this idea of what does it mean to be living a life for Christ? Our scripture reading for today uh, came from 1 Peter. Uh, and in 1 Peter, uh, it came from 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm going to read it one more time just and see there's a few parts in here uh, that I want you to kind of pick out. So it says, it says this. So get rid of all malicious behavior and deceit. Don't just pretend to be good. Be done with hypocrisy and jealousy and backstabbing. You must crave pure spiritual milk so you can grow into the fullness of your salvation. Cry out for this nourishment as a baby cries for milk now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Come to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by the people, but he is precious to God who chose him. And now God is building you as living stones into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are God's holy priests who offer the spiritual sacrifices that please him because of Jesus Christ. As the scripture expresses it, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem, a chosen cornerstone, and anyone who believes in him will never be disappointed. So interesting. Because now it's kind of, this was laying out to us what we should see when we look in the mirror, right? What we should see is that we should not see ourselves, but we should see Jesus. We should see, really, like what it says in verse 5, we, are, we should see a holy priest looking back at us. You are a priest. Turn to the person next to you and just say, hello, priest, or you're a priest, or however you want to like, greet the people next to you, fellow priests. Yeah, there we go. The, the, the reason that this says this, and the reason that the, I feel like this was most likely when Peter wrote this, that this was kind of a controversial statement. Um, because the, the typical background of being a priest was, uh, we all remember Moses, right? Everybody remember Moses. Anybody remember his brother Aaron, his older brother Aaron? Anybody? 
Not as many, right? Moses, we know that guy, you know, burning bush, and we know Moses through parting the Red Seas and bringing everybody out of Egypt and Ten Commandments and Charlton Heston and all those things, right? His brother Aaron was there for most of those things, actually. He was present for most of those things as well. But his brother Aaron played a different role on the other side of Egypt. His brother Aaron and their descendants were priests. They were set aside as the royal priesthood. And their job was to be the buffer, was to be the people that would come in between the Israelites, the people of God, and God. You see, we, when we look in Genesis, we can see God, and, and God created at the beginning. He creates the world and everything exactly how I wanted it to be. But that didn't last very long. It lasted like maybe, maybe three chapters. Two to three chapters is what we have of it being how God wants it to be. And then there's this divide, this sin that happens, this separation, this breaking of relationship. And so people cannot approach God anymore because of the sin that God is not of sin and so we cannot be with him. And so they had, God had to instill this, some ideas and some, some practices so that this relationship can kind of continue. A band-aid, if you will, happens between God and his people. And Aaron and his descendants are part of that band-aid. This, this band-aid of uh, we're going to offer sacrifices to cover our sins. Here's a cow or a dove or whatever it might be, a grain offering to give to the priests who then will give that to God for you. This is the system that kind of continued on and, and continued and kept going. But then Jesus overthrew that. About 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died on the cross, that system stopped. No longer do we need to have this buffer, these priests that stand between us and God, but instead, we get to go to God ourselves. We are holy priests. Martin Luther, who uh, about 500 years ago or so uh, was uh, part of the Catholic Church and then started this thing and, and said, like, hey, there's some things that's going on that I don't necessarily agree with and started speaking against those things. And eventually, uh, you know, the, a denomination came about from Martin Luther. Lutherans are the name Lutheran Church of Hope. That's part of that. Um, and so we're part of that heritage. And, and so Martin Luther kind of talked about this a little bit. He never actually used this phrase, a priesthood of all believers. Sorry, it's underneath the guitars here. Um, a priesthood of all believers. He didn't use that phrase exactly. But he talked about this idea that anybody that is a follower of Christ and is baptized is considered a priest, is considered to be a part of something bigger. Whether you went to seminary and you're a pastor at a church or you're in eighth grade just trying to get through the year, you're a priest. When you look in that mirror, you're a follower of God. You're a priest. You're a holy priest. The reason that we have this is because of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 5, it talks a little bit about this. So I've got some stuff up here for you, and then as we go, I'm going to read it all, but there's some highlights for you, uh, kind of paraphrased, paraphrased here, but it says this. Now a high priest is a man chosen to represent other human beings in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and others, their sacrifices for sins. And because he is human, he is able to deal gently with the people. Though they are ignorant and wayward, for he is subject to the same weaknesses they have. That is why he has to offer sacrifices, both for their sins and for his own sins. And no one, can come become, no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. 
He has to be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. That is why Christ did not exalt himself to become a high priest, no. He was chosen by God who said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. In another passage, God said to him, you are a priest forever in the line of Melchizedek. So Jesus is the high priest, right? Through Jesus' death on the cross, he became the high priest for us. He became the ultimate sacrifice. His blood has covered our sins. And because of that blood that has covered our sins, and because now we can approach God without having this buffer, we are also considered priests, part of a royal priesthood, part of a priesthood that is a priesthood of all believers. So what does this mean for us then, right? What does this mean? Great, Pete, I get it. You're a priest. You said it about a billion times. You said the word priest, that we all are together on this as believers in Christ. But what does that mean? Okay, good question. I got, it means a whole bunch of things. Two things I want to talk about today. Two things are the, what I want to talk about, uh, what it means for us. One is that, you know, the, kind of the title of the sermon that was given to me was uh, The Sleeping Giant Awakes is what kind of the title was for us. So The Sleeping Giant, that means it's the church, right? It's us. Look around, everybody in this room with us today. We are followers of Christ. We are part of the church. We are the church. It is time to wake up. One of those ways that we can do that, that I think, is that we can start ministering to one another, to our community, to those in our, in our congregation, to those that are out and about. We are called to serve one another. We are called to live a life that is not for us, that is not for the wins and losses, but is for, again, what impact can we make, right? That's what we were called to do. This love that we have been given, this sacrifice that was given for us, this blood that was spilled for us, is meant to be carried out and to given to others. We're called to minister to one another. In 1 Peter, later on in 1 Peter chapter 4, it says this. Let's read this together, if you would, with me here. Uh, there we go. Uh, let's read this one together. God has given each of us, you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Sorry about that. Use them well to serve one another. Well, that last line, that yellow line, let's do that one more time as loud as you can. Use them well to serve one another. We're called to serve one another. We've all been given gifts. That might be the ability to sing or play an instrument. It might be the ability to make something just super welcoming and, and homey and, and makes you, when you walk in, you're like, oh, I feel I feel like I belong, right? You might have a gift of leadership. You might have the gift of being able to, to teach. You might, we've all been given so many gifts and different gifts, which is amazing because as a church body, that's how it's supposed to be. And we're supposed to what with those gifts? We're supposed to serve one another with those gifts. We're called to serve one another. One of the first scriptures that I ever memorized when I was in college was Romans 12.1. Now, this is a different translation of it a little bit than what I had memorized, so I'm going to read it, unfortunately. Sorry, and try not to mess up from my memory. But it says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. We offer ourselves as a living and holy sacrifice. What does that mean? That means that, that what we have is what we're supposed to give. Those gifts that we have been given, those gifts that God has given us, we're supposed to give back. 
our time, our finances, our prayers, our thoughts, whatever it might be, we have been given those things and now we need to provide those and give those back, right? Offer is living sacrifice. And I don't think that that sacrifice word is meant, uh, or is, it, it, I think that's intentional. Remember, fellow priests, that the pre, what the priests did, remember what they did, what they would offer when they were, when they were uh, at the temple and they, somebody would give them something to what? Sacrifice, right? And now as priests, that sacrifice, the atonement of our sins doesn't necessarily have to be there anymore, but we are still called to sacrifice ourselves. Daily we are called to, to give ourselves for God's glory because this is the truly our act of worship to God. By giving ourselves, we are able to uh, provide uh, God's grace and love to others. What's the other thing? The other thing for the sleeping giant that I want, I think we should talk about this morning <clears throat> is that I think that we can also be an agent of reconciliation. We can be an agent of reconciliation. In the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning to the end, I think that one of the main overarching things in the Bible is this idea of reconciliation. We talked about Genesis a little bit ago. Genesis, God created everything. He wanted it to be exactly how it was. It was perfect. It was just how it was. And then all of a sudden, sin comes into existence, into the world, right? And so sin separates and breaks this relationship, breaks up this thing that was just how God wanted it to be. It was broken. And then the rest of the Bible, as you read and as you look in the Old Testament, it's, it's God's people trying to fix that relationship over and over again, doing whatever they possibly can. Hell, we need a king. Let's have a king. That'll fix things. Let's go to battle. Let's, that'll fix things. But never, it never worked. We'll offer these sacrifices. It doesn't work. God, though, in the Old Testament does point to some things, though, doesn't he? He points to some different times where he's saying, there will be a fix. I will make things right. A Messiah is going to come. A Savior will come. And we know that Savior to be Jesus. We know that that Savior uh, is Jesus and that his death on the cross was for our sins. This reconciliation, this thing of making, thing, making it whole again, making things right again occurs, and we can read that throughout Scripture. In 2 Corinthians, it tells us this a little bit. It talks a bit about this, and it says, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Fellow priests, we have been given the task of helping reconcile people to God, fixing these relationships, making things right again. It's part of what we are called to do as priests. It's part of what we are called to do as Christians. And Ted Lasso, the first season is Ted Lasso kind of dealing with this one well, a couple characters, but one of them, his name is Jamie Tart. Jamie Tart is kind of the, he's really good, but he's also uh, not really a team player. He's kind of mean. He just, you know, he just, he doesn't get along with the team. He eventually leaves. We saw him get kicked off or taken off the field at one point during that first clip. Second season, he comes back eventually. And, uh, but another person has already kind of stepped into his leadership role. His name is Sam. And Sam is from Africa. He's from a country in Africa. And he finds out that the, the, team, the team sponsor, the main sponsor who is on their shirts, uh, Dubai Air, uh, parent company has done some bad things in Africa. And he doesn't feel like he can play for them anymore. Let's check it out. 
you doing? What, Dubai Air not paying you enough? <laughs> no, no, Dubai Air is owned by a horrible company. I can no longer wear their name on my chest. Never again. Give me the tape, bro. Hey, listen, I do not expect you all to do this, but I hope you understand why we as Nigerians must. From a tape. What do you think you're doing? Retainment, man. Gotta wear the same kit. See, I'm saying there's just moments where, like, oh yeah, we're teammate. We gotta wear the same kit, like same uniform. I think that kit is British for uh, uniform. Uh, but just, there's moments like that in the show that they're just like, oh yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. I, I love how God shines through moments, even uh, when uh, even in shows that are maybe a little too salty or a little too uh, you know uh, inappropriate at times. That God still shines through. I love that. So cool. My question for you is, whose name is on your shirt? Whose name is on your chest? Who are you living for in the morning when you get dressed? When you, when you get dressed and you go out into the world, are you deciding, like I said in that Romans 12, 1, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, or are you living for those wins and losses personally? Who are you living for? Whose name is on your chest? I have a friend uh, who recently passed away. I've known her uh, since just right out of college. I, she, we were YMTs together at Riverside for a year, and she just recently passed away within the last couple of weeks, uh, unexpectedly, um, very sad. My, I was talking to another friend who is uh, Pastor Andy at West Des Moines. He was a YMT with me, uh, with us, uh, and he went to her funeral. And uh, we were kind of talking about this last week, and, and he said a couple things that kind of struck me and, and really hit me hard. And one of them, and, and I think applied to this, and one of them was, he said, it was amazing how many people were there. It was amazing how many people were at this funeral. So many people. And he said, beyond that, that, that it was amazing how many people were there, but how many people whose lives that she had touched. My friend Sonia had touched a lot of people's lives and, and had been a part of a lot of things. And they all showed up to honor her, to remember her. So he said that was really cool. And he also said um, that the other side of it too was just to hear the stories of how she was Jesus to them. A lot of people spoke up and talked and shared stories about how she shared who God was to them. She got up in the morning and she decided, I'm gonna wear my Jesus shirt today. She just said, I'm going to live a life of sacrifice today. And the impact that she made, only heaven knows, right? So who are you wearing? Who's on your shirt today? Now, there are some ways, though, like, okay, Pete, great. That's let's, let's great. Let's, um, I, I want to wear Jesus. How do I do that? 
Cool. Yeah, it's great. Good. We have a lot of opportunities. Church, we can do a lot of things. It's time to wake up a little bit and, and kind of wake up the giant of how awesome Lutheran Church of Hope is and how awesome our congregation is, and it's time to do some stuff. Next week, we're going to be doing Rally Sunday, uh, which is a celebration of like kicking off uh, the school year and kind of a, a kicking off and renewing the year of ministry, as they kind of said in the Hope 360 uh, there's plenty of ways at Rally Sunday that we're going to give you opportunities to be able to plug in and serve. Um, but with that, you know, we, we, do, we have a lot of needs coming out of this pandemic, and we're still kind of in the pandemic, honestly, right? But as we're kind of navigating through this, volunteers haven't really been coming back as much as we've seen in the past. And so we could use your help. There's a ton of kids most mornings that are in the nursery. Who doesn't want to hold babies, right? Oh, we need some volunteers. Ushers and greeters, worship team, production. As Carrie said earlier, uh, uh, Power Life and Ignition, our high school and middle school uh, ministries, we need some volunteers for that. Hope Kids. There's all sorts of places to be able to plug in and to be a part of the church. Or maybe it's not like, okay, I don't want to volunteer. Great. That's okay. There's other ways that you can be a priest, that you can help minister, that you can help uplift other people, that you can help reconcile in our community. Getting into a small group here at church or a life group, we love, there's plenty of opportunities, men's groups, women's groups, all sorts of things happening, and we want you to experience that as well. As Jamie Tart said, we're a, we're a team, we gotta wear the same kit, right? Hope, we're a team, we gotta wear the same kit. It's time to wake up, it's time to rise up, let's do that. This kit that we wear is Jesus, right? the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples in a room, and, and um, I'm sure it was just a, a, a very impactful moment. And when he was there, he, he took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you and all people. Eat this in remembrance of me. Later on that night, he took the cup. He blessed it, he gave thanks, and he said, this is my blood. This is the sign of the covenant with, for you and all people. Drink this in remembrance of me. We get to enter into a, a holy moment here in a moment of the time where as believers, as fellow priests, as a church, we get to commune with our Savior. Hopefully you were given a cup, a little cup. We have ushers that have them if you'd like one with a little communion cup for you. Uh, bread's on the top, the juice is underneath. But as you take that, think about what, can, what am I being called to do? God, fill me so I can overflow into others. We're going to do one more song. Uh, and during that song, then, you can take communion if you haven't already. But before we do that, let's, uh, could you join me in the Lord's Prayer? Can we say the Lord's Prayer together? The words will be on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our table as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The table has been set.